You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. All right, again, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, you do please turn with me to the book of Luke. <clears throat> we are going to finish up chapter one today. Um, we're going to look at the birth of, of John and then Zachariah's response and his prophet. Um, let me pray, please, as I switch my mind a little bit from what I was just doing. Pray and, and focus in on him and, and what we're going to look at today and um, pray for the Holy Spirit to help all of us. Father, um, again, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together to sing your word, Father God. And Lord, as we turn to your word and open up your word, Father, I just pray for the Spirit to work in the hearts of all of us. Father, today we hear uh, a message of not something that we go and do, but a message of who you are and what you have done. And Father, I pray that um, today this will help us again just to continue to see Christ and see God for who he truly is. Lord, that will help us to lay down the things of this world and be in awe of you and all that you have done Lord, I pray that that brings joy and praise and peace, um, Lord, to each and one of us, Father. And Lord, that only comes through your Spirit. And Father, I just pray that you would help us through your Spirit today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a few things, if, if any, moments in life that are equal to both in terms of drama and of their wonder than the arrival of a baby. I've uh, been blessed to experience that three different times as um, my three children were born. They were uh, actually born three different ways. I won't get into to all the details, but it's, it, but it's still a, a time of wonder, a time of expectation. What will this child be? What will they do? Um, how will, you know, how will they progress? And I know for the, the first one, I was 19 and Charity was 19. We we're like, oh, what do we do here? <laughs> um, you know, and uh, so, but that time of a, the arrival of, of a baby is, is exciting, but nervous and scared. And, and you're looking at your, 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 your wife and, and the excruciating pain that she's going through and, and, you know, and they don't care. Because the joy that comes afterwards, it's all worth it. And, and you know what? In many ways, that is a, a microcosm, a picture of our life here on earth. Because one day, all the suffering that we go through and everything that we have to experience of living in this fallen world, uh, one day that all will be wiped away and the joy will come over us. Joy will come over us. And in, in our case, in our story today, where we pick up Luke's account to Theophilus, is, is we're in a small town, and it's much different than, than even our small town here, or you know, maybe the small town that you grew up in, simply because um, so much of our technology and so much of the things that we have, we, we tend to not to have to rely on so many different people to just get through our, our day. But back in first century, when all this technology was not there, these folks, they lived, they, they depended on one another. They, they rooted for one another. They, they, they were just involved heavily in each other's lives because if you didn't, you didn't survive. 
you needed these folks. So it, we just, I just wanted to like kind of bring us back because sometimes we live in our world and, and we don't see the, when we, when we see the, the excitement of the birth of John and, and why, why was the whole community there? Like, you know, it's like, okay, I know the hospitals have all their regulations and sometimes we have family there and that's even getting less and less. It's, uh, you just see on Facebook, oh, you had a baby. Oh, great. We'll celebrate with you. But it's like, no, here it is a community event. Like the, the community's all there um, for this wonderful time of the arrival of John the Baptist. And that is where we pick up the story. The time has come for the arrival of the forerunner. John was not the Messiah. He was the one that's going to point to the Messiah, John the Baptist. We read in Luke 1, 57 through 58 this. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Here, the neighbors are around her. They, they've known Elizabeth. They know that she's older, and she's way past her, her time where she should be having children, but yet she's with child. And, and they're coming, and, they, and they're rejoicing with her. And don't miss this word, and this word is going to come up over and over and over and over again, and that word is mercy. We looked at that last week a little bit as we were, we were shown that, that God is very merciful towards us. So nine months have passed since the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah in the temple and promised that he and Elizabeth would have a son. Things happen just as the angel said they would. The simple word of verse 57 reminds us yet again that we can trust God's word because God's word is true. We can trust his word, brothers and sisters, because his word is true. Part of what the angel promised in, in verse one, in verse 14, is that many will rejoice at his birth. And we see this, the, the community's all around them and, and they're rejoicing. Verse 58 partially fulfills that promise where people are rejoicing because Elizabeth is going to give birth. Picture the scene with me. You have this Elizabeth who is well past the years of childbearing, who had suffered the reproach of being childless. Back in, back in first century, it's, it, it, it was a reproach not to be a child. You would, most Jewish people would say that you have been cursed because you don't have a child. Now, I know that technology and, and things have uh, changed in, in so many ways where we know so much more about the human body. And, but, you know, for the Jewish people, that was a, a blessing or a cursing. And... We also know that the Bible says that children are a gift, that, that that happens because of God's hands involved in that. It's just not purely a human action. But here, she's passed, you know, long faded, and, and now the babies come, and they're rejoicing with her. Why are they rejoicing? Uh, it's much more than just the baby. They're rejoicing because God showed great mercy to her. He showed great mercy to her. This was no regular circumstance. God was involved in this. This is part of God's character. We saw this last week as Mary re rejoiced in song, showing us God's mindfulness of us, that he is mindful of us, and then God's might in saving us and in, in uh, giving us a new heart and sending the Spirit to, to, so that we're born again and that we can truly see God for who he is. And then we saw that also that God's mercy is all over this. Our passage today uh, that tells us of John's birth and the subsequent prophecy has one theme threaded throughout it, and that is of God's mercy brings salvation. God's mercy brings salvation. 
Let us be reminded exactly the nature of mercy. Mercy is when God punishes us less than our sins deserve. Right? He doesn't give us what we deserve. That's his mercy being lavished upon us. God shows mercy when he relieves our suffering. He relieves our suffering. Because stop, you know, keep this in context. You got to keep your, you know, the, the whole 30,000 foot theology in context. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So in, in God's eyes, we, we all rebelled against him. So we do not deserve his goodness, we do not deserve his grace, we do not deserve his love, but he is that lavishing it on us because he first loved us. So to, uh, to the idea that he will actually relieve our suffering is his mercy upon us because why wouldn't he just let us suffer? I mean, come on guys, be honest with me. When somebody does you wrong, right? How hard is it for you to forgive? How hard is it for you to let go? And how hard is it for you not to cheer if something bad happens to them because of the suffering they caused you, right? You just want to get a little fist pump in there, right? Now, am I touching on too many, you know, being too personal here? But you just be honest with yourself, please. It helps in this Christian lock to be honest with yourself. But that's, you know, we just, so we deserve anything, but God gives us good things, and if we don't have that mindset, we're, we're missing it. It's this, this idea that we have in, in America today that we can come into church and God is, is expected to do great things for us. No, no, no. It is by his grace and mercy that he does anything for us. By his grace and mercy. So first we see God relieving the suffering of Elizabeth this reproach of not having a child. And our story turns to shows us how God's mercy relieves the suffering of Zechariah and how his mercy brings salvation. Remember, Zechariah has been unable to speak since his disobedience in the temple of the Lord. He, he could not speak anymore. That was the curse for disobedience. He did not believe the Lord. It was Remember, it was different from Mary. Mary wanted to know the mechanics, but Zechariah didn't believe. He just didn't believe it could happen. So we pick up in verse 59. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they could have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. See, God commanded that all the male children of Israel be circumcised when they were eight days old. Circumcision was the sign of God's covenant relationship with Israel. So the expectation that the child might be named Zachariah is not surprising. The first child, especially the first male child, would naturally and, and normally be named after the father. So they naturally thought his name's going to be Zachariah. But no, God had a different plan. Right? God had a, a different plan. The Lord chose a different na name for him. Pick up in verse 62 through 64. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. His name is John. It's not Zechariah. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessings to God. After nine months, not being able to speak. You know, apparently God not only closed his mouth, but he closed his ears because they couldn't just say, Hey, Zachariah, what, what are you going to call your, your son? They had to gesture to him. They had to give signs to him. They tried to get his attention. 
So this is nine months of not being able to hear anything or speak anything. For nine months, Zechariah could not hear or speak. He had to make some adjustments, right? Just like any of us would. We make adjustments. That is why writing on a tablet was handy. And there was no way Zechariah is going to disobey God again. Right? He was, he was in the temple, and the angel came and said, you're going you're gonna to have a son. I've heard your prayer. That's the, so many times, like, when I keep reading through this, it's like, why didn't I say that? I should have said that even more, made a bigger point of that. I mean, here to Zechariah's prayer to God, I, I would love to have a son. I, I would like a son. We need a son, right? Um, and the angel shows up and says, I have heard your prayer, and you're going to, be, you're going to have a son, but he just didn't. Believe He disobeyed God, and there's no way, no way in the world he's doing that again. He's learned his lesson, nine months of not being able to talk and, and hear and anything. So he gets his tablet, and on that tablet he writes, his name is John. At that precise moment of faith and obedience. See how that works? Faith and obedience, they come together. In mercy, God lifted his punishment and freed Zachariah's mouth. Don't miss that. Don't miss the fact that obedience is the proof of faith. So you can say, I have faith in God all day long. You can say, claim that you have faith in God, but it will be shown out in your obedience to him and what his word has said. That's kind of the, the proof to the world around you and the proof to God that you truly have faith in him. Because many other times what we do is we... It's just like Zechariah, like, well, I don't really believe that, so I'm going to do my own thing. But no, our obedience is, is showing us our faith it's when they come together. When we disobey, we are believing a lie over the word of God. That's how, why his faith is connected to that. And so his voice returns and he begins to speak. Notice verse 64. What does he do? Praising God. Praising God. That in itself is not insignificant. As Nate even kind of alluded to a little bit, some of us, if we had been stuck dumb for nine months, as soon as we opened our mouths, we would have already begun to talk about ourselves. Right? That's the, that would be the, the default mode, is we talk about ourselves. Do you know how I was feeling those nine months? You can't imagine what it was like. I, can't, I haven't been able to say anything for nine months. I don't know what that angel back there was up to. We would immediately start talking about ourselves. I mean, goodness gracious, all I said was, this is unbelievable. My wife's really old, and then boom, nothing. And we'd be going on and on and on and letting everybody know how miserable it was for those nine months. But no, what does, what does Zachariah do? He praises God. Zechariah opens his mouth and praises come flying out. Which, brothers and sisters, it points us to a simple principle. A really simple principle. Our suffering will either make us bitter or it'll make us better. Our suffering, and every single one of us, is going to suffer in some way. You, you are a born-again believer living in a fallen world. You will suffer. But will it make you bitter or will it make you better? And we know that God's purpose for our suffering is to make us better. 
<laughs> That's one of the tools he uses to sanctify us. It's through our suffering we become better. How do we know that? Because Paul told us, Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we're all going to suffer on various degrees. I don't understand why some people suffer so much and it's like you're looking at their life and it's just one thing after another after another. And, and some over here might not suffer so much. I, I don't have an answer for that. You can ask God when you, when you see him one day. But I know that suffering is either going to make us bitter or it's going to make us better. And that whole perspective depends on how big your God is. If your God is, is the God that you can just wall up and stick him in your back pocket and, and live your life however you want, then when suffering comes, you have nothing to stand on. You have no promises to stand on. You, you don't see a God as in control of everything. But if you have a great big God who is in control of it all, then the suffering is just a, a, a road, you know, like a speed bump on your road to heaven. So brothers and sisters, how are we handling our suffering? Is it working in us deeper thoughts of God's goodness or harder thoughts about our circumstances? Does it make us turn into God when we're suffering and, and things aren't going very well? Or are we turning into self and looking at our circumstances and blaming our circumstances? Are we growing warmer or colder towards God? See, for Zechariah, it made him better. And he praised God. He praised God for, for that nine months and for the birth of his son. The birth, the unusual name given to John and the return of Zechariah's speech brought twofold response. It was fear among the people and great discussion among the people. Like, who is this person going to be? What, what did we just witness right there? And we see that in verses 65 and 66. And fear came on all of their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in the heart, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. When we read this, there should be no fear and no discussion. We should praise him because yet again we see what God has promised he will do. We see again that, that God promised and he fulfilled. God promised and he fulfilled. God's mercy brings about joy and praise for Elizabeth and Zechariah. It means the same for us if we will receive it. His mercy brings praise. In verses 67 through 69, we read Zechariah's prophecy of God's mercy bringing about salvation to first Israel and then us Gentiles as he's folding us into the fold. God is in his mercy has sent salvation to his people. This main idea finds expression in four parts and we're just going to touch on them as we walk through Zechariah's prophecy. And the four parts are this, the plan of salvation, the purpose of salvation, the profit of salvation, and the peace of salvation. 
The plan, the purpose, the profit, and the peace of salvation. So we first begin with the plan. Let's look what Zachariah said. This is, again, he's talking about God. What has God, his, his mindfulness to us is bringing his might to us and, and lavishing his mercy on us so that we may be saved. In verse 68 through 73, it reads this. Blessed be the Lord of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us into the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. There's the word again, mercy. The oath that we swore to our father Abraham to grant us. See, Zechariah blesses or praises God because God has visited and redeemed his people with a strong salvation. A horn is used in the Bible uh, to symbolize strength and power. His might, which is exactly what Mary talked about. This is the powerful salvation for Israel that was promised to come through David. And is the salvation spoken by the prophets and is part of the covenant made to Abraham. God saves us to prove his mercy. It's to prove his mercy. The entire Bible from Abraham to the prophets down into King David, it's all about one thing. It's about his salvation. The Bible is showing us and telling us how is God going to reconcile these rebels back to himself. That's what the Bible's about. It's a wonderful, beautiful story that's all tied together, even though it's written over thousands of years by many different authors but one main author trying to show us his mindfulness to us, his love for us, his mercy to us. God cares so much that he's doing all this just to save one of us. It's just incredible. Just absolutely incredible. That is his plan, salvation. And what does Zacharias say is the purpose of this salvation? Why is he doing this? Why, what is the purpose of this salvation? He, picking up in verses 74 and 75, just the very end of 73 there says, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. There's the purpose. That we might serve him in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Not just once in a while, but it's a life of service. It's a life turned towards God and serving God and being about his plan. Because not only did he lavish his grace and his mercy on us so that we are saved, he's including us in this grand plan of salvation so that those that, are, that will be saved one day are going to hear the gospel and hear the good news through us. Now, brothers and sisters, if, if you're wandering around thinking, what is my purpose in life? You need to land right there. God saved you to serve him. God saved you to be the agent of reconciliation, to be the proclaimer of the good news. That is your purpose. We don't do that 24-7, but we do that as we go. As we go and do things, as we go to work, as we go and, and do fun things with our friends and our neighbors, and as we, as we serve one another. It's all about proclaiming and being about God's Purpose and his purpose is salvation. The purpose of salvation is so that we would serve him. 
What does it mean to serve God? It means to do what he says in a way that makes him look supremely valuable in himself. It means to submit to him in a way that makes him look thrilling, awesome. Put your adjective in there. That's what it means to serve him. That you're living in such a way that when anybody asks you why, the question why, why did you do that? Why do you act that way? Why do you have that attitude? Why do you have that opinion? You can point to Christ because you are, you are so insaturated with, the, with what the Bible says that you are living to serve him and, and proclaim his good news. Because brothers and sisters, if we obey what the word says, we are going to look like very different people, especially as the culture keeps moving away, moving away, moving away from any kind of Judeo-Christian values. We are going to be different. I mean, simply by not responding with hate and, and, and you know, just this angst of anything, if anybody has an opinion or anything like that, just by responding with love is going to be completely different than anything that we're getting in the world today. We are meant to serve him. We are to submit so that he looks wonderful, so he looks awesome. Let every act of your body and living be an act of worship. That is, let every act of your living body be a demonstration that God is your treasure, that he is your ultimate treasure. Not the things of this world, not your relationships, not the money you have, not the, the material items you have, not the status you have. He is your ultimate treasure. Jesus, your ultimate treasure. Let every act of your living body show that Christ is more precious to you than anything else. Let every act in your living body be a death to all that dishonors Christ. So if we're living to serve him, we will be killing the deeds of the flesh. We will be killing the things of the flesh that rise up that are against Christ as part of our sanctification. Romans 12:1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the purpose of our salvation is to serve him according to Zacharias. Proclamation. God's mercy brings about God's plan of salvation, his purpose of salvation, and the profit of salvation. Luke 1, 76 through 77 says this, And you, child, now he's talking about John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will be before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and the forgiveness of their sins. So Zechariah now turns to John. John will be great. And Matt taught us way back in the, when we started the book of Luke, the reason why John is great is not nothing in him. It's because all he does is point to the one who is great. He's the one that points to Jesus. That's our service also. Is we live our lives in such a way that we're just pointing to Jesus. Like we have one of those big foam fingers that you, you hold up at your sporting events, but we're just pointing to Jesus because he's number one. That's what John does. That's his job, is he points to Jesus. He is the forerunner to the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment to all of the promises that came to us in the Old Testament and to the Jewish people. John is not the Savior, but John will be make things ready for the Savior by teaching people how they are to be saved. John is pointing the way to God's salvation 
from sin. We read this in John 1, 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. His mercy on display yet again. See, this greatness that John is, is the prophet, the one pointing to, to Jesus, this greatness comes from serving the Lord, not from serving ourselves. John spent his life to do one thing. And, and that, his one thing, everything that he did from, in his whole life was, was to point to Jesus. And what did Jesus say about him? There is no other man greater than John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist spent his life pointing to Christ in all that he did. Greatness comes when we, like John, say, we must decrease, Jesus must increase. We must decrease, Jesus must increase. And finally, Zechariah closes by describing the peace of salvation. In verses 77 through 79. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because the tender mercy, there's that word again, in his tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. First, we see that the salvation is ultimately spiritual and personal. It involves the forgiveness of sins. Again, why must we be forgiven? Why is sin a problem? Because it is an offense to God. It is an offense to to God, who is holy. He's holy. When we talk about being saved, we should ask, saved from what? What are we being saved from? Why, why every time we get around these Christians, and, and maybe you're here and someone invited you, or maybe you're, you're looking online, or maybe you hear this whenever you, you talk to your friends and neighbors that don't believe, why, why do you keep talking about, I need to be saved? What do you mean I need to be saved? I, I'm doing just fine. I don't need to be saved from anything. Well, brothers and sisters, what you need to be saved from is God himself. That's what the Bible tells us. You need to be saved from God. We need to be rescued from God's coming judgment against the world. Unless we are rescued, we will suffer punishment in hell forever. And I, I know that that idea, that, that whole idea that there's going to be an internal punishment for those that are not in Christ, it, it's like it's barely even talked about in churches today and in, in Christian circles anymore. But it's a very real thing that's in the Bible. If we're going to believe everything about salvation, then we must believe everything that Jesus taught about hell because he talked about it an awful lot. So what are we being saved from? We're, we're being saved from God and his perfect, just judgment. Because the only way that he can be a just and holy God is if he enacts judgment on humankind for rebellion, and that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. He has to, or he would not be a just God. 
How will judgment day go for you, brother and sister? How will it go for you? I can tell you, unless you are in Christ, it will not go well for you at all. I beg you today to see God's mercy and turn from sin and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. His mercy, as Zechariah reminds us again in verse 78, his tender mercy is the only reason anyone is ever forgiven of sin. It's his mercy. He does not give us what we deserve. He does not give us what we deserve. You cannot earn forgiveness. You cannot demand forgiveness. Forgiveness only comes by mercy, which means forgiveness is free and undeserved. The only step we can take to find forgiveness is to beg for mercy, is to beg for mercy. If today you find yourself sitting in darkness, go to the light. Through the mercy of God, we receive the light, the light of Christ. The light is Christ himself. In sin, we sit in darkness like prisoners locked in an underground dungeon. But when Christ comes in our hearts, he brings light. And all of a sudden, everything shines. Darkness flees. Death is defeated. We have a wonderful picture in Lazarus laying in a tomb dead until he is called out. He is called out from the darkness. He is called out from death into life. When Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, we all need that call. He not only brings light to a darkened heart, to a darkened life, but he brings peace. Peace with God, peace with man, and peace within ourselves. Our, our D group's been going through Ecclesiastes, and, and we started with the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, and the whole book of Ecclesiastes is talking about life under the sun, life without fear of God, life of just living your life in, in man's wisdom, and what does what does the wisest man and, and then ultimately God say about all that? Well, it's just Hubble. It's just it's a mist that will be here and gone. And here you have four men that have lived life a little bit, sitting around a table, and 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 it started as we were talking about this and looking at those those chapters in in Ecclesiastes and. and what started happening is, is we started to see hearts being broken because I can't imagine a life without God and trying to live as those, those chapters in Ecclesiastes point out that everything is just meaningless under the sun. Brothers and sisters, if you're here today, and, and maybe it's like, yep, Joe, I, I feel that. It seems like everything I do is just meaningless. I beg you to, to beg for mercy today. To turn, to, to trust in him, to, 
I, I pray that the Lord has changed your heart so you can see Christ for who he truly is. To see God as a merciful God who wants to save you. Do you have this peace? Have you experienced God's mercy that brings salvation? I pray that you do. And I pray that you have. Let me pray for us. Father, we just ask for you to work. Father, we just ask that you would help us, the one that, that might be trying to figure all this out, who is God and is, is Christ real, is Jesus real, do, do I really need to be saved from something? Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would change that heart so that they see and the first thing they're going to see is, yeah, I do need help. I need his mercy that leads to salvation. And Father, for us that, that may have been be walking with the Lord for a long time, we, may we be reminded yet again what we've been saved from. And then may our hearts be broken for those that do not live with the peace that you give us. May our hearts be broken for those that who do not know you. And the joy and praise of knowing a God that is in control of everything. And that, that God that is most powerful and in control of everything, he truly loves us, gives his mercy to us. He is mindful of us. May we be reminded of that. Father, I pray that you would help us do so today as we really press into the looking at the birth of Christ, our Savior. The mercy that you sent that brings salvation. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.